As we stand, let's pray. Lord, speak your truth into our hearts so that we may be strengthened by your grace for today and for whatever lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. Recently, my son called me over to look at something on the computer. Now, if I'm honest, my heart does not always leap with joy when it comes to looking at a computer screen. But I watched mesmerized as he showed me this video clip of, well, watch it for yourselves. you. Those had been people's homes where they'd lived out their ordinary lives, cooked meals, held conversations, slept in beds, and they had disappeared before my eyes and yours in seconds. It was weird. There, one moment, gone the next. I remember feeling something similar when the tower of the old Norfolk and Norwich Hospital came down. When our daughter was born there, I was in labor on the ninth floor, it was very real, but now it no longer exists. Well, today we're looking at the final chapter of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and it would help if you could find page 1211 in your Bibles. Because we're going to be summing up, we're seeing how this chapter sums up what the writer has been saying in the whole of the letter. You remember his constant refrain has been, don't give up on your Christian faith. In the case of the first Hebrew readers, that meant primarily, don't go back to Judaism. And for us, it's more likely to mean don't drift away. So what arguments does he put forward here for not drifting? Moreover, chapter 13 comes unsurprisingly after chapter 12. Though we must remember that there were no chapter breaks in the original, so the letter was all one flow. And there at the end of chapter 12, we heard God's promise, verse 26. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what cannot be shaken, sorry, of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Now, it seems to me that many of us in this congregation may feel as though we are being shaken, shaken by insecurities in our jobs, shaken by financial uncertainty, shaken by illness, shaken by relationships in trouble, disappointments. And this chapter, it seems to me, gives us a perspective on what cannot be shaken. So what do we see here is 
eternal and permanent and therefore cannot be taken from us. Well, firstly, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The Jesus who was there at creation, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, is alive today and will be for all eternity. Now, this truth about Jesus has in fact colored the whole of the letter to the Hebrews. Glance back, if you like, it's up to you, to chapter 1 and verse 8. But about the Son, he, God, says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And on, verse 10. In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. We are not to drift away from Jesus Because as we sung last week, in this fragile world, you are the only sure foundation. And through Hebrews, again and again, the writer has effectively said, hold on to Jesus. In chapter 3, we had, fix your thoughts on Jesus. In chapter 12, fix your eyes on Jesus. And consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In a world where everything is or will be shaken, Jesus is the unshakable one. Got that? Jesus is the unshakable one. And how can we be sure that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Because, to para to rephrase verse 20, the God of peace brought our Lord Jesus back from the dead through the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus went through death, shedding his blood on the cross, and then God brought him back to life, never to die again. And as we learned in chapter 7, because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Always lives. Jesus being alive forever means that he is there for us. Now in heaven... It is Jesus who meets our need, chapter 7. Jesus who is constantly praying for us. Jesus who is able to help those who are tested and tempted. That was back in chapter 2. And if we can grasp this hope, it will be an anchor for our soul in those times of shaking. Jesus, our Lord Jesus, is unchanging. 
Second thing that is lasting, the city we are looking for. The city we are looking for. Let's look at verse 14. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. The way the verse is constructed sets up a clear contrast. The city we have here is not lasting. Unlike the city that is to come, which is lasting. And this too has been a theme right through the book. We had it, of course, most clearly in chapter 11, where we found Abraham setting out on a journey. By faith, what was he doing? He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And then we heard of those other men and women of faith too. And what were they doing? Well, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And God, friends, has prepared a city for us who hold on to our faith in Jesus. And this city has been described in various ways through the book. We had it in chapter 4 as God's rest. In chapter 12 as the heavenly Jerusalem. And as a country of our own. We had it in chapter 9 as our promised eternal inheritance. And then as a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this is the place to which Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, has gone ahead and is waiting for us. Now all that may be true, but it will have little impact on our lives if we get too settled in the cities and houses and cars and jobs and all the rest of it that we have here. And that's one reason I believe God allows so much shaking. Because he wants us to find more of our security in Jesus and feel more and more settled in the prospect of our eternal home. Think of it like this. Next year, there is a possibility that as a family, we will go to South America. So we've started talking to people who've been there. We've started looking at their photos, reading travel guides, going on the internet, getting ideas. And Roger and I have also started an evening class in Spanish. We're only on week two, so we haven't got very far. But the more we invest in the project, the more we build a sense of expectation. And it's the same with God's city, his unshakable kingdom. And that word in verse 14, where it says we're looking for this city... It's emphasized, and it means we're actively seeking after this city. We're intently expecting it. So how do we do this in practice? Well, I believe we do it every time we choose to read the Bible and not do something else. Every time. It's building a bit more. You see, if you think of reading the Bible, just for once, as learning the language of heaven in the company of those 
who are also traveling there. Got that? Learning the language of heaven along with those who are going there too. I believe we do it every time we pray and believe that our words are not just disappearing into thin air, but they are heard and they will be answered. I believe we do it every time we praise God and we trust him when the circumstances around are dispiriting and discouraging. For all of those things strengthen our citizenship of God's kingdom. And they remind us that we're outsiders here because this isn't where we really belong. Jesus is the same forever. God's city is lasting. And thirdly, God has made with us the eternal covenant. The eternal covenant. Verse 20. The God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. It was through the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross for us that God has brought us into a relationship with him to which he is committed for eternity. In chapter 9, we saw that the first covenant God had made with his people, the Jews, was obsolete. It would soon disappear because it's been replaced by a new covenant where Jesus entered the most holy place once for all through his blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Eternal, forever and ever. This covenant had been promised by the prophet Jeremiah, a prophecy that we saw quoted at length in chapter 8. And this would enable a relationship for us with God, where he promised They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And this knowing of God, this living in relationship with him has begun for those of us who believe now, but it will go on forever. It is an eternal covenant. No amount of shaking can take away God's commitment to you and you and you and me unless you deliberately choose to walk away from it. And Hebrews urges us, don't do it. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Keep looking forward to the lasting city. Remember God's eternal covenant with you. For you see, when the shaking comes, whether it's now or whether it's in the future, God does not want us to be afraid. God does not want us to be afraid. He is, as we see in verse 20, the God of peace, the God who brings peace. And on what basis can we have peace and confidence when we feel shaken? Well, we hold on to the fact that God brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. 
Jesus suffered outside the city gate. We see that in verse 12. And he died, verse 13, bearing the disgrace of the cross. The worst the world could do was to take away Jesus' life. But God showed his commitment to Jesus by restoring him to life again. And through Christ, God extends that same commitment to each one of us. Death may be the most fearful shaking, especially if it involves suffering. But it is not the end. We have the eternal covenant. And we know it's true because Jesus has gone ahead of us as that great shepherd of the sheep. He's alive and he's eagerly waiting for us to join him in the heavenly city. Many years ago now, I was privileged to be at the bedside of a Christian friend who was dying. She could no longer speak and hardly move. And I wondered what I could possibly say to someone on the verge of eternity. And the words of Psalm 23 came to mind. And I found myself saying them as words of assurance to her. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. For he is with you. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, Jesus is on this side, going through whatever dark valley with us. And Jesus is on the far side, where we will share eternity with him. That is our present and our future confidence. That is the source of our peace. But what of now? What is God doing in us through this covenant relationship now? Verse 21. He is equipping us with everything good for doing his will and working in us what is pleasing to him. Now that word equip is a very rich one. It's the same word used of the disciples mending their nets. And it speaks of God mending what is damaged in us, restoring us, making us complete in every good thing. You see, this is the potential outcome of the testing times. Our lives become more and more pleasing to God because we allow him to work in us the character of Jesus. Jesus, of whom God said at his baptism, with you, I am well pleased. I said this is the potential outcome it is not the automatic outcome. I have seen Christians give up their faith when severe sickness strikes, when marriages break up, when hopes are dashed. But I have also seen the faith of Christians strengthened under such shakings. 
And the invitation of Hebrews is to cooperate with the working of God just as Jesus did and however painful it seems. What will this look like in practice? Well, take a glance at verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Continually. In the good times and in the tough times. Praise him when I'm laughing. Praise him when I'm grieving. Praise him every season of the soul. Is that the kind of fruit that's coming out of our lips? For it's costly. And that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. And then verse 16. It's worked out in our relationships with fellow believers. Do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, I haven't time to unpack this, but just to say that this sharing does have a financial aspect. We are to contribute to the support of other believers, whether in giving to this local church or in giving to our poorer brothers and sisters in the developing world. Both are costly. They too are sacrifices. But without them, the praise of God lacks integrity. And with them, God is pleased. So to draw all this together, the book of Hebrews is about getting our perspective in line with God's perspective. He wants us to live as those who know what is truly lasting, what is permanent, what will go on forever. And that means ultimately keep in relationship with Jesus. Keep close to him. Fix your thoughts on him because he is the great shepherd of the sheep and his voice reassures us do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom let's pray I'm aware I've said some challenging stuff this morning and some reassuring stuff. And some of us may identify with that sense of being shaken. And as we pray, I just want to invite you to reach out to God, to receive from him what you need. If you like, hold out your hands before him, just as you are. And ask him to meet you. To strengthen you.
to remind you deep in your hearts of what is unshakable and cannot be taken from you. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. <laughs>